Hello and welcome back to this cricket show coming to you on YYFM. I am your host today, Blake Bint, and if you tuned into our coverage from the Pakistan series way back in December now, in 2022, you will know my guest very well. I am, as always, joined by the two Dans, Mr Whiting and Mr Davis. So, to Dan Davis first, uh, we didn't get you on the final episode of that Pakistan series, so it's been even longer for you. Um, Tell us, what have you been up to? Did you have a good Christmas period? Yeah, um, I actually had COVID over Christmas, which is... Fun. I've never. I managed to swerve it for two years, and then the day before I went home, I got it at work, and so yeah, it was okay. Uh, apart from that, but yeah, have had a good Christmas. Not too bad. Ah, uh, well, just, uh, you are all well and good now, and obviously ready to talk about this yes. thrilling test once again for England. And uh, Dan Whiting, getting closer to the English summer now, and obviously you do your various bits and pieces, um, and you're on Talksport. Last night as well. Have you enjoyed a, a busy festive and post festive period? Yeah, I have. I'm trying to sort of do some real work as well in, in, in the real world. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the season. Not long to go now. Spring is in the air, and uh, I've got a uh, event I'm organising, which I'm about to announce as well coming up. Before then, for uh, my friend John Simpson, his uh, his benefit year. Uh, which is going to be up at my club at Southgate in North London, and it should be a yeah, a lively event. So uh, keep an eye on this space. Oh, yeah, so that's very great to hear. Um, so let's crack on because we've got a lot to get through as it's been a fair while. So we'll start from the uh, the top of the test. Um, so obviously England batted first, a decision New Zealand made to put us in. Um, so to Dan Davis, I'll come to you. Um, obviously, Big story, Carl Jameson being named in the squad and then having to pull out due to back injury out for three to four months. Um, well, firstly, how do you think that affected their squad? Well, they brought in, well, there's two seamers that made their debut in this test. And I actually think they did quite well, to be fair. Um, but yeah, they didn't have that experience. And I think that's why England were able to make such a good start because we all got to 325 for nine, declared after 58.2 overs and then we were able to stick them in under the dying light. And uh, I think that really worked for England. Um, I think it might have just been we we set the tone with some really aggressive batting against some blokes that hadn't actually ever played test cricket before. So I think maybe if he'd been in there, we might have struggled a bit more. Yeah, Dan Whiting, uh, would you back that being a slightly strange decision despite the inexperienced seam attack and knowing England's attack was going to be... Uh, well, England's batting approach was going to be to attack and um, put the bowlers on the back foot. Yeah, if in doubt, bat first. And if you have to think about it, bat first again. But uh, it's great to see Blair Tickner in that side, wasn't it? It's something about the 1980s northerner about him with his mullet and his moustache there. And uh, he looked like he was straight out of like somewhere like Middlesbrough, didn't he? And uh, he was he was kind of like a throwback watching him come in. But it's a very oceanic well. haircut, isn't it? I mean, Colin oh, DeGrande, Adam Zamper. Yeah, yeah, the the mullet is back in, you know. When we watch sort of old episodes of Neighbours, I know that's Australian and this is New Zealand, but, you know, it's a Southern Hemisphere thing. And when you watch old episodes, you think, oh, that's just like a 1980s haircut, but it's still going on over there, isn't it? So, uh... 
Yeah, so on the toss, obviously England batted first, 325 for nine. Um, bold declaration at the time, second quickest uh, in test history in terms of overs, 58.2. I know you'll have a stat, Dan. Um, so there's that one for you. And then, yeah, so declaration on that early, uh, well, on the on the first day still to stick New Zealand in, as you mentioned, Dan Davis under the lights. If I come to you on that, then as you've already mentioned it, the... The pink ball under the lights late at night. Do you think good decision despite a bold one? Yeah, well, Jimmy made the most of it. He got two for 11 at the end of the day. Um, And yeah, well, considering how well they batted the following day, I think maybe the light did did play into it because they did actually bat very well the next morning and they managed to get a decent score out of it. Um, But yeah, they were 37 for three by the end of the day. And they looked in a lot of trouble given England had made 325 so quickly. And I don't think the way England batted, I don't think you could make any excuses with the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a really good decision and it, it did work out really well for England. Dan Whiting, we spoke about uh, New Zealand losing Jameson and how their bowling attack was affected. But it seems New Zealand in this test throughout, I mean, they made 300 in the first innings in the end, thanks to some blundle heroics. But it seems they've got some real batting issues as well. Yeah, the batting's not firing at the top of the order. I think they've relied on Kane Williamson and Devon Conway for a long, long time. And if those two don't come off, they're in trouble. But credit to England, because so much of Test cricket is played in the mind. And it feels like deja vu, you know, with talking with you guys about Ben Duckett and Harry Brook. And both of them got sort of 80 odds there or whatever. And it feels like we're sort of going back to the Pakistan series before Christmas because both of them had a wonderful series there and they've continued their good form. And I think it's fantastic that people are just coming into this England side, slotting in and playing the game in the the style that Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum want them to play. Well, I've actually got one of my own stats because if Harry Brook had managed to score those extra 11 runs, he would have been uh, the first batsman to score, well, the second batsman in England history to score four centuries and four consecutive tests. There's a guy called Ken Barrington back in the 60s. He could play. Yeah. Yeah. And with the test, so close So if we go on to, um, you mentioned Duckett there, Dan Whiting, is it just, um, I didn't even have this on my agenda, but now you've mentioned it. Is it too early after singing his praises to say that Crawley is droppable again and Duckett is now the senior of the two? Well, there's going to be uh, competition for places and the selectors have got a headache. Johnny Bairstow is coming back into light training. He's not going to make the second test, but I think Zach Crawley... Uh, I mean, Johnny Bairstow ideally fits into the middle order, but you're not going to drop Harry Brook. You're not going to drop Joe Root. You're not going to drop Ben Stokes. Uh, so, you know, the only way I see Bairstow coming in is either for Ben Folks or possibly do you shove him up the top there and say, right, give it a whack, which wouldn't surprise me in this baseball era. And uh, Zach Crawley could be the man to go. I mean, he looked all at sea in that first innings. I think he was caught off a no ball. I think he was then dropped before finally being put out of his misery. And he dropped one at slip early on in the New Zealand innings as well. And I just think he's he's probably the weak link in that England side at the moment. Yeah, Dan Davis, do you agree? I mean, it was at one stage a few years ago, it seemed that we couldn't get enough left-handers at the top. I mean, we had Cook, we had Lythe, we had 
Ali at one stage, Gary Balance was in at three at one stage, and now it seems Duckett's the sole one in that top five. Do you think Crawley's the man to go, if any? I'd like to see Johnny Best to have a go at the top order, because he does that in the one days. I don't see, with the way we play, I don't see why we wouldn't try, given Zach Crawley just, he's had so many chances, and it's just not come off for him as much as you'd like. I know he's very young. We do tend to just churn through a lot of young English players, but he has had, um, I think he's must have played at least 25 tests at this point. He's had a lot of time to get used to it and he doesn't seem to have got used to it. I think he dropped a couple of catches as well. It's just very frustrating. Um, so I would quite like to see Johnny Best get a go. When you look at the the amount of openers around who got discarded so quickly, you know, and, and really sort of good openers, people like Sam Robson and yeah. Adam Lyde's another one who got sort of, you know, chucked out after five, six, seven games or whatever. And then you look around the country and you look at the really good openers who've never really had a chance, people like Chris Dent at Gloucestershire, for instance. Mm. And you think, you know, Zach Crawley's been given a lot of chances now and uh, he's got to start doing the business. Of course, it's very good for, for Duckett and at least Crawley's under a bit less pressure now that other people around him are firing. And of course, a lot less pressure on Rutu was um, obviously very used to coming in at a score of around 10 for two. And now it seems he's quite happy coming in at 150 for two or, or for three in the case of Stuart Broad coming in in the second innings. Um, so if we move on to that second innings across day two and three, for England, scoring a mammoth 374, which is pretty pretty mammoth for a second inning score. And once again, the talking point is uh, our man Harry Cherrington Brook. Um, I feel like we've tried to dim down and try not to get ahead of ourselves on how good he is going to be. But Dan Davis, is it time to to say that? Well, after the game, um, when Ben Stokes was talking to the BBC, he said that he believes that Harry Brook will go on to be a global superstar. And I can really see it because he scored two fifties this time. His second top scored for England again in this innings, having batted so well in the first innings. And he scored runs quickly too. You know, the 50 he scored in the second innings only took him 41 balls. He accelerated when he needed to. Um, I think the key thing for England in that second innings was that they didn't just have like it has been over the years where one person scored all the runs. They had three fifties. Ollie Pope got to 49 and even Ollie Robinson scored 39 runs at the end to extend that set of runs at the tail. Um, but yeah, he is looking really, really good having not played that much test cricket. He looks far better than many people who have taken a lot longer to get used to it. So I'm really hopeful for him. And obviously Ben Stokes is too. Yeah. Despite Brooks, uh, approach as it always is and he came out firing especially on that third morning you know people like folks do keep the side um keeps the reputation dimmed down slightly on the whole um we've got to score over a run a ball approach which is good to see that balance in the side dan whiting i'm sure you're itching to say a few words on harry brook yeah i thought he batted very well but the one i want to talk about is the nighthawk stuart broad running down the wicket, second ball. What is all that about? He's a night watchman. Skies one up in the air, and then it just lands in the middle of, of no one. The bowler didn't go for it. The keeper has got to be Blundells as the keeper, the man with the gloves. He should have gone for that. But it was a bizarre bit of cricket. And there were 50s there for 
Uh, Root, Pope and Folks, which uh, sounds like it's sacrilege in the Catholic Church, actually, doesn't it? But there you go. But um, no, I thought I thought it was a really good display from England. I thought the batting was positive. Uh, it's not pretty at times, but Joe Root, I'd like to see him bat properly and stop this try and flip it over the slips a little bit. He's better than that. And I'd like to see him provide that same role as Ben Folks does a little bit, batting properly with proper shots. He doesn't need to manufacture shots like that, Joe Root. He's he's too good a player. And, uh, you know, he's getting out cheaply when he shouldn't be, really. And he's the man to sort of add glue in that middle of the middle of the order there. You think I agree that he's saying. Im- sorry, Dan, impacted. Sorry, I just was an interest question. I was wondering if you feel like he's negatively impacted by Basball. Do you think he would be better off? Do you think this made him a worse player, or do you think he needs to change the way he plays back to how he used to do it, as opposed to trying to keep up with the other boys? Yeah, I, th- I think it has made him a worse player. I don't think it's made him a worse player. I think he's trying to play shots which aren't uh, in his normal game, and I think. Uh, Basball evolved because England were getting bowled out cheaply and they needed to do something to actually nullify that threat. And Joe Root was the, the one person in that side who who added sort of a bit of cement, added a bit of like toughness in that middle order. And since the advent of Basball, he has become, you know, uh, he's gone the opposite way, really, isn't he? He's, he's starting to throw his wicket away way too cheaply for a batsman of his class. It does seem he's tried to expand his repertoire, and I can, I see what you're saying, and I agree with you. Because when you said about him just playing normal shots, it made me think someone like Ollie Pope, because Joe Root does score at generally a good rate anyway, because he's just that good. He puts away the bad ball, and then you know, say that's every sixth, seventh ball, it'll be four off seven or five off seven, um, and that seems to be exactly what Ollie Pope is doing at the moment. Do you do you see that as? Uh, just kind of what he needs to do because it seems Ollie Pope's not playing any ludicrous shots. Dan? Oh, um, yeah, I'd like to see him play more of an anchor role than trying to smack the ball about all these reverse sweeps. I think he got out playing a, like a reverse lap sweep straight to the slip in the first innings. And I kind of looked at him like, well, why? Why did you do that? There's no need to do that. You don't have to do that when everyone else is scoring, you know, a run of ball he can kind of calm it down and sit with them so they've got someone to bat that they can trust almost. It's, it must be frustrating just losing Joe Root and then you start to think, oh, we're nearing the tail now that Joe Root's gone. If Ben Folks gets out cheaply, then you're running out of people to bat with, I think. So I'd like to see him just go back to what he used to do because it, he's proven over the last 10 years that it works. Yeah, a little mention for Ollie Robinson. He got some runs down at the bottom there, didn't he? He got 30, was it 38, 30, 40 or something? 39, yeah. But yeah. I think and, people forget um, he can bat, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this England side go down pretty deep. So it was good to see. And yeah. Jack Leach even giving it some long handle there at the end as well. So, <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. They got a big lead. I mean, what did they set New Zealand in the fourth inning? Something like 400 or Three hundred ninety-six, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a really imposing total. The pitch didn't really sort of crack up much, but it's a really, really imposing total. And you know, we saw what it did to uh, New Zealand in that fourth innings. Yeah, so we'll come on to that now. Obviously, like you said, the pitch 
And it, if we come back to the toss, even, uh, you know, maybe they felt the pitch wasn't going to change in condition much. So they felt happier chasing. But when they're set, that sort of total obviously is um, very difficult from ball one. And you're instantly in two minds of do we try back two and a half days for the draw? Um, they seem to get stuck in neither going for it or against it as they were bowled out in 45.3 overs, which is really poor for New Zealand standards. I wrote a, I wrote an article for the cricketer um, a couple of weeks ago, a predicted 11, and I actually put um, Conway, Latham and Williamson all in there based on their um, tour of Pakistan as well. And, I was really surprised to see how kind of weak they seem. Once a couple of early wickets go, they seem to crumble. Yeah, top order batsmen shouldn't get bowled at test level as often as that. And I think the first four were all bowled, weren't they? And uh, oh no, no, I think Nichols nicked off, didn't he? But uh, there was there's a lot of guys bowled there in the top order. And really, you shouldn't get bowled through the gate. If you're a test match top order batsman, you should be covering that. You shouldn't be leaving that batting pad open enough to, to get a cricket ball through it. You should be you know, a lot more tighter in your technique than that. But credit to Stuart Broad, because when he's on fire, he's properly on fire, isn't he? And uh, I thought it's fantastic to see. Brought back memories of that 60 all out or whatever with Australia back in, oh, 2012, I think it was, wasn't it now? It was a long, long time ago. But it sort of evoked memories of that. And when Stuart Broad is on one, it's a great sight to see for any red-blooded Englishman. Yeah, Stuart Broad was certainly on song. And while we're talking about New Zealand's second innings, we'll talk about the uh, England seam attack because Robinson took four in the first innings. Anderson and Broad took four each in the second Um Overtaken Warner McGrath as the most wickets combined in test matches played together. I mean, it's obviously an all-time great partnership. Dan Davis, can you remember in recent years an England side with such reliance on their seam bowling? Because Jack Leach, credit where it's due, does his job. But, you know, we've seen in the past people like Moeen Ali's always come on and taken wickets and things. But Anderson and Broad seem to just not be stopping. Yeah, I... I... They just seem to go on forever. I don't know how old Jimmy Anderson is, but it feels like he's been around my entire life, to be fair. I think he's been playing for England for most of the time I've been alive, which is quite years, scary. I think, 2003. Careful, yeah, boys. He's younger than me, all right? Careful. <laughs> it's pretty scary that he's just... I don't know what I'll do watching England play without Jimmy Anderson. And it's nice to see Stuart brought back because he occasionally gets dropped. And I, I always feel... Sad whenever they they take Stuart Broad out of the side because you know he can go on these mad spells. Like I think he got eight for fifteen in that Australia game and he was four for twenty one at the end of the day. And I was trying to follow it. And I was thinking, wow, okay, yeah, Stuart Broad is back. Um, yeah, I I mean, just an iconic pair to be fair. And I think we'll really miss them when they go. But we've got some good seamers coming through, like um, Matthew Potts, for example. I think he looked really good when he played. Ollie Robinson's obviously doing a great job. We we haven't really needed to rely on the spinners in this series because I think the grass wasn't the pitch wasn't there for it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'll um I'll be really sad when they go because they've done so much for the game in England, especially. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. If you look on the sort of bowlers hunting in pairs, and I think in fourth place there you've got Curly Ambrose and Courtney Walsh who were wonderful, wonderful West Indian cricketers. Then you've got Murali and Chaminda Vass in third place, the Sri Lankans. McGrath and Warren 
And then for these two to beat it is a, a testament, not only to their sort of skill, but also their fitness and longevity. And it's quite apt that they did that in New Zealand because they played their first test together in New Zealand back in 2008. So 15 years on, 1,003 wickets or whatever it is later. I think it's just wonderful, wonderful to see. And you're right, we will miss them when they go. I think it's no coincidence that was actually the last time we won a test match in New Zealand was 2008 since we we didn't win uh, there I think it was 2018 when you know we got skittled on that morning for 50 odd um dark times for English cricket certainly um so obviously that's great to see so if we come on to um we preview the next test normally at the end of these episodes so Another four-day win um, in typical Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes fashion. Ben Stokes we've not even mentioned in this test, but of course captained brilliantly once again. Um, so for the next test, do we see anything other than an England win? I mean, it's 10 from 11 now. Um, is it kind of just written before we even uh, before we even see a ball bowl done, Davis? Uh, just business as usual, I think. This side seems to keep doing the business, so I don't see why you'd want to change it that much. I think we'll just continue as is. Depends how fit Johnny Burstow is, to be fair. Um, I'd like to see him get a go instead of Zach Crawley, but I feel, you know, even Zach Crawley's capable of scoring runs, and they're all capable of scoring runs. I mean, Stokes, I think he's the fastest England captain to win 10 tests. He's won 10 and 11, which is pretty scary. Um, Anderson doesn't look like slowing up at all, even though he's getting on a bit. Same with Stuart Broad. So I think we'll just keep it the same. And I, I'd imagine it'll be the same result because New Zealand didn't offer all that much apart from that Tom Blundell century. Dan Whiting, uh, I'll come to you on the New Zealand side. So Matt Henry's back in the squad. Um, Ish Sodi and uh, another bowler. I can't remember who he's evaded me. Um, have both gone back to their domestic sides. Do you see Henry coming in and do you see one of the top order changing for, I think, Will Young's the only other option? Yeah, I think Will Young's got to come back in. He adds a bit of solidity at the top. Um, uh, so, but every time I've seen him over here, actually, with Durham, and I saw him a little bit in Northamptonshire last year, and he's a good hard cricketer. I think New Zealand will bounce back. They're a proud nation, and to get beaten by 267 runs will have hurt them. And sport is taken very, very seriously in New Zealand, whether it's cricket or whether it's rugby union or rugby league even. Sport is never a laughing matter to Kiwis. And I think they'll bounce back at Wellington. I think it'll be a lot closer game. I think England will win because they're on a streak where they've won six in a row. They've won 10 out of 11. And I just think they've got the momentum. But I think it'll be a much tighter affair. Any changes for England? Any rests? I'll come to both of you, but Dan Whiting, while you're talking. No, I don't think so. I think they'll just go with the same side. Um, I, I can't see it. I, I mean, Bairstow's only in light training at the moment. I don't think they'll want to risk him, uh, you know, push him too hard. We've got a big Ashes series, haven't we, coming up this summer. And I don't think that they'll probably want to push, you know, any of those guys. I think Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson will probably play and then they'll have a nice little rest for three months or whatever. Um, but Ben Stokes, quite interesting. He said he wants eight or nine seamers fit for the Ashes. And, you know, Broad, Anderson, Robinson, they're the three in who've, you know, who've got their sort of 
their their place at the moment. Joffre Archer's back playing for England as well. So that that could be quite interesting. And as you said, Dan, Matty Potts, I like the look of him. He's got a little bit about him as well. So there's some good young players coming through. And England will need all of them. Five Test Ashes series can be brutal. Dan Davis, we mentioned um, Broad, of course, bowling very well. It would have to, of course, it'd have to be quite a freak, freak accident for one of him and Anderson to, you know, getting injury now to, to miss the Ashes. But with the series all but done, do you think, is it worth playing them both still? Of course, Broad missed Pakistan, probably point to prove wants to play every game. Would you still play them both? Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely while well, it's the second test, you might as well. Um I don't see why we'd make any changes. I think we just stick with the same thing. I know maybe a bit worried about Anderson, but he seems so fit for someone that, you know, late in his career, and he's done it for 20 years. He's still able to keep on doing it at the same high level. I think he's still got it in him to just carry on as usual. I don't think they'd need to rest him. I don't think they need to rest. Broad, he obviously comes out every now and then, but every time he comes back in, he's great. Um, So I think we'll just stick with the same team. Um, and I imagine they'll they'll get the job done again um, in the second test. Well, another test, gentlemen, and another convincing win for England, despite it being on the road. As we said, first win in New Zealand since 2008. 10 from 11 now for Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum. So that's all we've got time for today, but we'll be back this time next week for the second test review on YYFM, of course, before another absence for probably a couple of months. I don't know when the next series is. Um, But once again, thank you for joining me, both of you. And uh, of course, we'll be back next week. So for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye Goodbye from me. me. Uh, Yeah, and goodbye from me. Thank you. Goodbye.